It's such a blessing to worship together and to be together and open God's word together. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to be concluding uh, the series that we've been in really since Easter, since just after Easter, that I've called Same Power. Uh, we've been looking at engaging the power of resurrection. And so uh, part of that means to take a, take a look because this uh, wonderful backdrop is going to go away this week. Say, ah. Yeah, and, and we'll have some, some different things to remind us of where we are in the next study, and I'll tell you a little bit about that uh, in a few minutes. But our focus has been in this uh, verse, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's say that together, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Uh, Paul has been really giving us an example right out of his life, He's not trying to say, well, you ought to do this, but it's, it's not something that I do or practice. He, it's right out of his life. And he, he first talked about this radical reassessment uh, in which uh, he said, I count everything that was gain, I now count as loss. Everything that was loss, I now count as gain. And every week I come back to this and I just am sort of amazed at this thought that everything changes when we are struck and impacted by the grace of God. I had a, a little bit of a different image uh, this week as I meditated. Now, I've had a scale up there for weeks and weeks. It's just kind of a little symbol, an image of this. But it occurred to me that when grace comes, the thumb of God goes onto the scale. How many of you know that's a big deal? It's a really big deal. The thumb of God is on, and, and you know, there's places in the Bible that say, now when you're in the tr place of trade, don't put your thumb on the scale, don't cheat. But God, by his grace, has overwhelmed and overcome anything that could be against you. Someone say hallelujah. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes people say, well, but I've had terrible things in my life. It does not matter because his thumb is bigger and heavier. Amen. And what God's grace does is so very powerful. It's bigger than our accomplishments, bigger than our burdens, bigger than the sins that we may have experienced in our life and the failures that we may have experienced in our life. He talked about answering the upward call of God, uh, forgetting what is behind, pressing on, uh, straining toward what lies ahead and pressing on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing is more important than being right where God wants you and surrendering to him, taking hold of you. That's what it's all about. And then he talked about setting a pattern of following with others who pursue knowing Christ, that we need to be with others that we look to and we say, this person is following Christ. I'm gonna try to be like them. And then we encourage one another and we strengthen one another. We began uh, four applications, and we're on the last one uh, this weekend, but the first was in relationships. If Jesus doesn't affect your relationships, then, then what, what, what are we doing? <laughs> we need to have relationships that are sound and that are mended and that are good and that are getting better. And that is a witness to the world that is around us. Um, his uh, resurrection power is also experienced in our prayer life and our praise life with joy and uh, the release of anxiety in our lives and in our thinking. We talked about the whole area of our mind and how when we refocus our minds, we have so much victory. 
And then uh, on this weekend, we're going to be looking at in every circumstance of life. It's kind of an odd uh, title that I gave you, this, the power to be content. We don't usually think about power that way. We think about power as taking hold of something that I don't have yet. But there's a power in being content that he's going to talk about in these verses of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4 is, is our text, beginning in verse 10. Let's give our whole attention to the word of God as we hear him, as he speaks to us. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now let's stand and let's pray. Father, we give thanks for word of God. We give thanks for for victorious and inspiring word of God, we give thanks for provision and strength that is far beyond us, far beyond ourselves. God, may we take hold of, of those truths as they take hold of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. As we come to the end of the book of Philippians, um, we learn that the Philippians had sent a gift, an offering to Paul. Uh, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly uh, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity. So he's writing a thank you note. He's writing to express his gratitude to the church of, at Philippi. He founded this church about 20 years before this, so it's been a while. Uh, and, and he's had this relationship with the church for some time. And, and now he's, um, he's very grateful for this gift that has come. He hadn't heard from them in a while. 
Um, but he rejoiced now that their concern was revived. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear from you again. You know, a gift makes a connection like that. And, and he, says, he says, you know, it's not a point of need, but, uh, but I want you to know, you know, sometimes we say it's the thought that counts. Sometimes you receive a gift and it's not even something that you really need, but it's so thoughtful that you thought to bring the gift, to give the gift. And so he's saying that. He's saying, I'm glad to know that you're thinking of me. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Uh, I'm not speaking about being in need. Now, let's just pause and say, actually, Paul was in a pretty dire situation. It was actually a pretty difficult place, but, but he didn't view it as need. Uh, he was imprisoned. Most of us would say, I'm in prison. <laughs> That's a bad deal. <laughs> help me. Can you send something and help me? I, I mean, I, I've done that so many times over the years. People that were in jail or in prison, and we, you, there's a way to send something so that they can buy toothpaste and things like that. He, he was most likely under house arrest, which was a privilege afforded only to a Roman citizen. Uh, they would say, oh, you can be in, in a, you need to rent a place right nearby and then you're gonna have a guard chained to you. So that was the situation. It was still not so good, uh, but he had to pay for that. Um, he was chained to the guard and he never knew really day to day whether the trial might start today and it probably would happen very rapidly or he could be executed. It was a scary time. Uh, for him in his life and in his ministry. And the offering from the Philippians may have helped to pay for that rented location. We don't know. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm well taken care of. And the gift that Epaphroditus, he's the guy who brought it, uh, that helped. But Paul saw his imprisonment, we have to remember, in chapter one as an opportunity. Uh, it's one of the marvelous parts of this study is that in Philippians chapter one, uh, he saw his imprisonment as an opportunity. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's on the next slide. There we go. Um, has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the palace guard, and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The word of Christ, the gospel of Christ was spreading. I just love this part of the story. It didn't matter who they brought in. He says, oh, good. (laughs) Come on, chain up. We're going to talk for a while. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's just the most fabulous thing. And he says that the other brothers in the area uh, there in Rome uh, became more confident. They said, "We, we can be encouraged to speak the word to others and to be bold in speaking the word without fear. But he makes this statement in verse 11. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And the word, uh, the Greek word is autarkes. Say that with me or autarkes. Say autarkes. I won't put that on the test, okay? But it was a word that was actually used by the Stoics. That was a, a, a philosophical group. And it meant to be satisfied with oneself. Why would he use a word like that? He's using it in a different way. He's redefining it in a different context because uh, they were talking about being self-sufficient and satisfied with oneself. Paul was describing a divine self-sufficiency 
for the Stoics, they would say, all, all I need is me. That would be the Stoic. All I need is me. And Paul is saying, all I need is God. All I need is, why don't we say that? All I need is God. That's the central point in all of this. I will put that on the final exam, okay? That was a joke, okay? There's no final exam. <laughs> but he's making a, a, this final application. He's, he's talked about relationships. He's talked about all these different areas of application. And he says that knowing Christ gives us a resurrection contentment. It's different from any other kind of contentment. That when we are raised with Christ, everything changes. And we are raised with Christ. Scripture says that when we are baptized, we are raised with Christ. We die with Christ and we are raised with Christ by faith. And when you have been raised by his grace and his mercy, you have everything you need. Amen? And now, now, sometimes we get distracted and we start thinking we need other things. Or there's something we see over here. I think I want that. Or I think I need that. And that gets us off track. But there is a contentment. Uh, in any circumstance that rests simply in the provision of God. And that's what Paul was talking about. Now, let me just make a little, another little side note. Contentment is not the same as complacence. Complacence, uh, I, I, I just, this, I had this in my heart. It's not the same, it's a different word. And I looked it up and the word complacence is, means self-satisfaction or a smug or it's literally in the dictionary that way, a smug or uncritical satisfaction with one's achievements. It just sits back and says, I'm fine with everything because I've done, I've done everything and, and I'm all good with me and what I've done. That's basically what it says. That's not what we're talking about here at all. We're talking about that in Christ, in the provision of God, we know that we have everything we need and everything's gonna be provided. Now, I would also just kind of remind us that as kingdom people, we actually have a divine discontentment. Paul was one of the most discontented people in terms of the kingdom. He said, I'll do everything. I'm looking out and I'm seeing people that don't know Jesus and I'll do anything. I'll speak in any way I need to speak. I'll use every part of my life experience, every part of the cultures I've been a part of to get Jesus and the gospel to people around me. I'm not content as long as there are people lost and going to hell. Amen? And we, we lose that sometimes, the importance of that. But resurrection people, in terms of our circumstances, are content people. And that's what we need to get a hold of, that resurrection power in our lives impacts us in that way. I'll give you a couple of examples from Scripture. You remember the fellow named Lazarus? <laughs> remember him? How he came forth from the tomb. And Jesus called Lazarus back to life four days after he had been in the tomb. I just love it. It's just amazing. It's an incredible moment. And so he comes out of the tomb and he's all wrapped up in, in his uh, death clothes, uh, his, his grave clothes. And he needed very little. He, there's one thing he needed. He needed somebody to take that, the death clothes off of him. And so Jesus said, unbind him, <laughs> get that off Get that off of him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. And Lazarus, it's so interesting. He didn't ask for a thing. He didn't say, hey, can I see my wife? Uh, I, I need to talk to my mom. He, 
he didn't say, I, I need to check up on, on my, uh, my, the things online or anything. Nothing like that. He didn't, he didn't ask for anything. Um, but, and really, the impact of resurrection is he, he knew that God had provided everything for him. And, and, you know, I thought about him. You know, he must have become a rather famous person. They kept looking for him and trying to find him. They wanted him to come and give testimony different places. And, uh, and when they were bringing him in, you know, they, they didn't introduce him. And he, he didn't say, well, let me just remind you, I was a very successful businessman in Bethany for years and years. That wasn't it. All of that was loss compared to the overwhelming grace of God to raise him from the... That was what it was all about. Even if they came and said, could you tell us a little bit about how you and your family made a fortune there and in Bethany? They were wealthy people. He would have said, are you just stupid? <laughs> I mean, the, the, this is the thing. I've been raised from the dead. Now, I, I don't know if it was me, I would have said, could you get me some new clothes? This stuff stinks, you know, a little bit. I, I'd like a shower, but he didn't ask for anything. Another story, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter um, from the dead. This one always gets me because I got a daughter. If you have a daughter, this will get to you. I mean, if you have any child, this will get to you. And so Jairus had sent word and he said, I, I need you to come. Uh, my, my baby is sick. And so Jesus was delayed. He was healing someone else. And so she died. Jairus sent another message said, you don't need to come. You don't need to bother to come. And so he came and he said, you need to clear out of here. We're going to take care of this. And, and he, he raised her. Um, he put out his hand to her, touched her hand and said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the scripture says the girl got up and began walking around. And Jesus also knew her need. Jesus said, now you need to get her something to eat. She's going to be hungry. Did you know that people who are raised to new life are hungry? It's really important. Now, now, we talk about in the physical realm, and that's what this was, but in the spiritual realm, it's why we have camp. It's why we have vacation Bible school. It's why we have these things that teach and teach and teach because people who are raised to life are hungry. Amen? And so we, we need to meet that need. She didn't ask for a thing. She didn't say, can I get my iPad? I need to look at my phone or anything like that. The truth is that when we know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, we gain some very powerful things. And I want to lift out four things. And the first is what I've been talking about. Contentment, no matter the situation, is one of the impacts of resurrection in our lives. No matter what's going on, I have everything I need because I have God. Someone might look and say, but you don't have everything you need. I have everything I need because I have God. And God is taking care of all my needs. Uh, Paul wrote and he said, uh, I, I know what it's like to be brought low. I know what it's like to abound. I like the NIV. It's just a little bit more plain. And it says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And so Paul was, because of that, he was able to declare whatever was loss is gain and whatever was gain is loss. When I have a loss, I just look to say, oh good, this is an opportunity. I get to see God's hand. I get to see God reaching into my life and providing in my life. 
there was a meme that went around, and, and I posted it this week, and I share these with you sometimes. And it said this simple thing. It said, those who leave everything in the hand in God's hands will eventually see God's hands in everything. I think that's on the next slide. Is that there? Okay, good. Those who, let's say it out loud together. Those who leave everything in God's hands will eventually see God's hands in everything. And so if we're looking for God's hands, we're going to see his hands in everything. Paul says it this way. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, both abundance and need. Apparently, um, he knew times of wealth and he knew sometimes of great need. But he says, I've learned a secret. Now, it's very interesting. It's a Greek word, and it's not important for you to know it, but it's a Greek word that's only used this one time in the whole New Testament. And it's normally used, it was normally used uh, among what we call the mystery religions. They would say, now, if you come and you worship, the way cults are formed is this way. Now, if you come long enough, we'll tell you the secret. And it's the word for secret. And he says, I've learned the secret. And he was connecting with that kind of thought. Now, here's the secret. <laughs> here's the secret is that he had been initiated into the provision of God. He, he through experiencing both times of, of wealth and times of need, he had been through a kind of initiation because that's what it referred to in the mystery religions. We grow in our dependence upon God when we go through a time of need or a difficult time. You know how difficult times bind us together? They really do. Um, you know, this uh, past week on, uh, on Friday, uh, Pastor Ann and I, we traveled to Tennessee to do a memorial service uh, for someone who was part of our church a number of years ago. And he was uh, a U.S. Marine veteran. And so uh, he had died on January the 4th, uh, uh, John Wallen and Elaine is his wife. And some of you may remember the Wallens, but um, up in Tennessee, so we, when we were first asked, we said, I don't know if we can do this. And then they moved, they were willing to move it from Saturday to Friday. And it was really kind of amazing because uh, it was a military honors memorial. And I was so glad that we went. Um, military honors on Memorial Weekend. Wow. Uh, with the flag presentation, uh, with taps being played and guns fired outside. Um, I haven't experienced that a, a huge number of times, but enough that it's very powerful every time that I experience that kind of honor and service. But it really struck me how part of what binds Marines and really anyone in the military um, it, it, whether whatever branch of military is this experience we call boot camp. It's, it's suffering through something together so that one can look to another and say, we understand we are bound together because of what we have gone through and what we know together in terms of need and provision and depending on one another. I mean, that's what I take away from it. And that's what Paul's talking about, a kind of initiation that happens in Christian life where we go through hard times, but we also go through times when there's lavish uh, provision for us. Well, Paul had experienced it all. There are a number of scholars that uh, tell us that Saul of Tarsus, which was his name, 
before he became Apostle Paul, may have grown up in a rather well-to-do, wealthy family. He was born a Roman citizen, and that means that someone in a generation before had purchased Roman citizenship because that's the only way a Jew would become a Roman citizen. And that cost 18 months' wages or more. So that's a, a chunk of money that someone laid out, either his father or his grandfather, to purchase citizenship, go through whatever processes were involved there. We also know about him that he attended rabbinical training in Jerusalem at a young age with the most famous rabbi that there was, Gamaliel. I mean, that was like uh, the Ivy League of rabbinical training in the very best sense of that. I mean, this is a smart guy of smart guys. And that was not cheap. That was not inexpensive. Later, we know he became a tent maker. Uh, because a trade was actually required for rabbinical training. You had, to, you had to have a trade so that wherever you were in whatever town, you could go in and you could. there might only be 10 families that are there to support, and so you would do a, a trade. You would be bivocational. Well, Tarsus is known for an expensive tent-making material called uh, silsium. Uh, I had never seen that word even, but it was used for tents and saddles, but it was very expensive. And there's some considerable thought that Saul of Tarsus, his family, may have been involved in this trade, in this industry. So he may have had significant wealth as he was growing up. We know that Paul could mix with anybody. He was around people that were very wealthy. He was around people that were even very connected into the high powers of Rome. Uh, And then he also was with very, very poor people. And so he had that ability uh, because of this secret. He understood what it was like to be very wealthy and he understood what it was like to go through times of hunger. The second quality that we find in this resurrection impact is, I'm going to call it simply strength, no matter the obstacle. There's a couple of verses in this that I'm sure that you recognize or probably likely recognize. They're very much favorites of the whole Bible. And this is one of them. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's say that out loud together. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul was not talking about self-sufficiency. He was talking about God's sufficiency. It's all the difference in the world. He was facing some of the most difficult things right at that very time. And he said, I can do all things, but I, I can do all things through him through Christ who strengthens me. Very important that we hear that. See, we hear it in the world all the time. The world declares, I can do all things. Or, or the world will say, how many times do you hear someone say to a child, you can do anything? That is a lie. It really is. You have huge potential. I know that you can achieve things, but you can't do anything. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And this is what we need to be teaching, very much what we need to be teaching. When our children were growing up, I remember that when they were in elementary school, I loved driving them to school. We were just beyond the bus range, and and so uh, I would drive them to the elementary school down here to Suntry Elementary. And so we would all get ready, and we would go out to the car, and they knew this drill. They knew what was going to be happening, and so... Uh, they, one of them would take turns. They would go to the front of the car, and I would get in the car, and I would say, 
Oh my goodness, the car won't move. Well, what is going on? The car won't move. And I would have it in neutral. And, um, and I wasn't even running the engine, but we had a little bit of a slant in the, in the, uh, in the garage going backwards. And they would say, well, Daddy, Daddy, I'm pushing. I can't make it move. And I said, well, have you said the words yet? And then they would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I would let off the brake. Now, it, honestly, about a four, five, six-year-old child can make a, st- a car start to move as it goes down with a little help from gravity. It was not an unsafe thing, but it was so fun because they learned, they'll tell you, they learned this lesson early on. I can do all things through Christ. Well, a little help from daddy. <laughs> daddy, if you take your foot off the brake, <laughs> that would help me a lot. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we don't learn or find that strength until we come against something that we cannot do. It's in those situations. You know, someone will come and they'll say, I'm just at the end of my rope. Oh, good, that's such a good place. Jesus loves that, actually. <laughs> really? I, I've come to the end of me. Yeah, okay, so now let's see what God is going to do. The third thing, third impact is provision, and, and it was through partnership. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, it's very interesting. He said, I don't have any need. I don't have any need. And then he uses the word philipsis. The Greek word philipsis is the word for tribulation. We studied it all through uh, our study in Revelation. It means affliction, anguish, or distress to be in the press. And so this was a hard time. And they shared and they gave some relief. And he said, and it's just a marvelous thing that he shares. He says, no church entered in a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You're the only ones. Can you imagine being in ministry for 20 years and only one church was supporting you? This is just an amazing thing. I know at other times there were some other churches, but this was an incredible thing. And, and this partnership, he says, is to your credit. Yes, this has helped me, but it's to your credit. You see, generosity is something that flows out of contentment. When we're content and we know God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, I'm able to share. In fact, that's the only way I'm able to share. Otherwise, I'm looking and saying, I got to be careful because this is all I have and I don't want it to go away and this might not be enough and who knows what's going to happen in the future. I better hold on to all this. Whereas if I... I'm approaching life by saying, God has it. God's got it. There's a need over here. And I, I don't, we don't just indiscriminately, but we listen. And the Lord prompts us. And the Lord nudges us. Generosity is that gift. In verse 17, he says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's actually just this wonderful, fragrant thing for you in your life. Here's a huge truth. When you give into a ministry, you are blessed by the fruit of that ministry. And you probably won't know what it is for, for a long, long time, maybe not until eternity. It, what an amazing thing to be just hanging out in heaven and wandering around. Somebody comes up and says, I just got to thank you. <laughs> I don't think I know you. I just got to thank you because the gift you gave is what led me to Christ. I don't even know about that. 
The gift you gave, don't you know? It wasn't much, but you, you gave to this missionary at just the right time, and they shared with me Christ. You see? And that fruitfulness. He says, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, contentment in our lives opens the door to share in partnership. People who are secure in trusting God are able to share with others. The fourth thing is this, supply for every need. This is another favorite that's in here. Uh, He writes, and I'll just read it here. My God will supply some of your needs according to, why are you laughing? Did I mess that up? Kathy Tom will always catch me on that. So, okay, let me see. All right, my God will supply everyone else's needs according to his, just say no, if that, no. My God will supply every need others and yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not some needs, but every need. Now we know, you know know what's coming, that needs are different from wants. Say amen. It doesn't say, uh, my God will supply all your wants according to his, his lots of things we might want. Okay, but God has sufficient resources for any and every situation that you encounter. And as people of resurrection, we rely on God for our needs. And God has an abundance. And he has an abundance of ways to provide for us. So my question on this weekend, when we celebrate freedom and we we give thanks for the protection of freedom, so many good things is this. Have you received resurrection contentment? It's the last segment of this. Have you received the contentment to be able to rest in his provision no matter the situation? Have you received the contentment to rely on his strength no matter the obstacle, no matter what you're up against? Have you received the contentment to partner with others in ministry Have you received the contentment to trust in his provision no matter the need? It's nothing too big for God. Nothing. And oh, by the way, his thumb is on the scale. And he's got a big old thumb, doesn't he? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come against very difficult times. And Lord, we also experience times of great abundance that can be even more difficult because we're not sure how to handle that and we're tempted to be self-sufficient. But God, we thank you for your word that reminds us that whether we are um, in plenty or in want, no matter the situation, whether we're up against something that we, we feel like we're easily handling or something that we are at the end of our rope, you are there to give us the strength that we need, to give us the provision that we need, to give us even abundance that we might share with others and experience the joy of generosity. God, I thank you for that. I praise you for that. Speak into our hearts and our lives that we might trust you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you're the very first to hear, uh, or among the very first to hear, 
um, that next week we'll start a, a new series, our new summer series, and it's going to be titled Major Truth from the Minor Prophets. And I'm so excited about this. I've been studying this for several months. And you look up there and you see the list of the minor prophets and you might think there's a whole lot of words there I don't know how to pronounce. Here's what I promise you. By the end of the series, you'll, you'll know how to pronounce these words and these names. But more important, we're going to focus, it's going to be what I call a bird's eye view study. We're going to try to spend one weekend on each book. Now, you could spend weeks and weeks on several of these books. But it's going to be one weekend on the book focusing on the core truth that's being expressed, the situation that was going on, what was happening uh, in that time. There were very difficult things that were going on. Uh, there were issues that are very relevant to today, uh, including uh, justice and injustice, compassion, corruption, cheating, disaster, missed priorities, uh, judgment and punishment, uh, prejudice. There's some powerful things. And there are lots of views on this stuff. Right? Yeah, there's lots of views. But what we're going to look at is the biblical view. What does the Bible say? What does the lens of the Bible say about these issues? And how, how do we understand what justice even means? We're going to be looking at that, trying to get a hold of that and let that get a hold of us. I hope you're excited. I hope you'll be praying for me uh, and, and the others who will be helping as we prepare for a really exciting summer together. So let's stand. I want to remind you that we have our offering available to you out in the lobby and also through U.S. mail and also uh, as well uh, online. And we want to be uh, very aware of that. We are so grateful. If you are here for the first time, uh, we uh, would love to meet you. And I have a lamp over here to the left that's lit. And that's a place where we love to meet any new newcomers, new timers. Uh, new worshipers that are with us. Let us go forth in the name of Jesus, in the power and the knowledge of him and his resurrection. Let us go forth that resurrection truth might be known in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.